Our text is Revelation chapter 9. We're going to read the first six verses here. Revelation chapter 9. So we're continuing our study on how are people tormented eternally. And this is actually part 12 of a series that was supposed to be two sermons. So, uh, so it's still just two sermons. It's just they're extra long. Okay, but uh, really, no, it's been 12 sermons. This will be the 12th one. But it just seems like the Lord just keeps giving and we just keep preaching what he gives, and that's the best way to do. I, I can remember years ago having Don Sisk here uh, from uh, BIMI, and he told us this is how it's supposed to work. Receive, give. Receive it from the Lord, give. Receive it, give. And you know, that's the way you do it. When God gives you things, he gave it to you for a purpose. And so as you receive, give. Well, here we look in Revelation chapter 9, and beginning with verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there was a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them. But they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Well, shall we pray? Father, as we read of this, we must keep it in mind. There's a world that thinks, oh, this is cruel. How could a good God do this? But this world doesn't understand God is holy and God must judge. But this world also finds that many of its churches do not realize the judgment begins at the house of God. And so therefore, Lord, we see today that there's a need of a revival in our churches across this land. That souls may be brought to the Savior. This land would be healed because it needs healed. I pray that that would happen. And I pray that it would happen shortly. And we'd ask this in that name above every name. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now last week we were looking at those first two verses that a star falls from heaven. That star, as we told you, is an angel. Uh, so he falls from heaven and he's given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, when that pit is open, smoke will come out. The smoke will come out and it will darken the sky. The sun will be darkened. 
And it seems like much of the earth will be able to notice that that is what is happening. Now, keep it in mind that this is happening during the tribulation hour that's going to hit this earth. Right now, uh, that's not happening because it's not the tribulation hour. Before the tribulation happens, the Bible lets us know that if you are saved, before that happens, you'll be caught up to be with the Lord. And so shall you ever be with the Lord. But we'll be caught up if you're saved. If you're not saved, you're going to be left behind. Now, there are people that will be able to get saved in the tribulation. But I believe, as we study the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians both, you'll see that if you had that opportunity to be saved, you heard the gospel, you were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, yes, I need a Savior, but you passed it up. My friend, I can tell you on the authority of God's Word, you won't be able to be, able to be saved during the tribulation. Now is the accepted time to be saved. It really is. But uh, on earth, there's a seven-year tribulation. Christ will come back at the end of that tribulation, and then what happens? The Lord sets up a thousand-year millennial reign here on earth. We call it the millennial reign because the eternal reign starts after that, after a great white throne judgment where all those who died without Christ will be judged. With all those who were alive without Christ at the end of that thousand years will also be judged, by the way. And they'll all be cast into the eternal lake of fire. Just understand this. There's two great judgments that concern us as, as people. Now, there's more judgments, but let me just say these two great judgments. One is the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved, that's where you're going to appear. Some are going to be ashamed. Some are going to have confidence. The Bible tells us how to live as Christians. If we don't live that way, we are going to find that we're going to be ashamed at His appearing. We'll be saved so as by fire, the Bible says. We will see also that there is loss of reward. That reward that was set aside for you will be given to someone else, and you're just there. You're saved in, by, so as by fire. You're not in hell. On the other hand, there's another judgment that comes at the end of that thousand years called the great white throne judgment. At the white throne judgment, all those who died without Christ, all those who were at the end of that millennium, somehow survived, they will be caught up to be there. I believe all of them will be uh, probably dead, but nonetheless, they'll be one way or the other, anybody without Christ will be at the white throne judgment. The white throne will not determine whether they're going to, to the eternal lake of fire to heaven. They're going to the eternal lake of fire. But just as there are degrees of reward in heaven, there'll be degrees of punishment, I believe, in hell. Hell will be worse for some than it is for others. But I would say this, I've said it before, the lowest place in heaven is billions upon trillions of times better than the best place in hell. So understand, we preach this to talk about a judgment during the tribulation period that you don't want to be around for it. You simply don't want to be around for it. As a matter of fact, you've got family members, if you're saved, that you don't want to be around for. You want them to get saved, and you may be the one that God has set aside to be the witness that brings them to Christ. Now, to understand, we need to under, uh, understand the context in which this ninth chapter is written. And 
I say the context, I'm talking about the context of the book of Revelation. Because that's needed for understanding the unity of the scripture. The best translator of the Bible is the Bible itself. Sometimes you'll find definitions in the Bible that uh, men have given other definitions to. But when the Bible says something is something, that is what it is. For example, Deuteronomy 6.25, it says, This shall be your righteousness that you obey my commandments. You know what? One thing I know about a definition of righteousness is obeying the commandments of the Lord. That's righteousness. Not because I say so, because God said so. Now, there are other things I believe that do go in that. Righteousness also is, is serving the Lord according to His word and His will and His way. It's doing that call that He's put upon your life. But essentially, do, living holy, because He commanded, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Uh, you're to witness as a Christian. Why? Because He commanded us to witness. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So again... Your righteousness to get into heaven is going to be Jesus Christ, but your righteousness as a Christian in your life is going to be living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I want us to look at some scriptures here in Revelation that happened earlier that we might have understanding into the interpretation of our present chapter. In the Bible, I said this before, and let me just repeat it again for you. When you see words that are the words like, Liken unto, as, as it were. Those are words that are symbolical to show you that it's not actually that. If we have in Ezekiel, they had the head as of a lion. It doesn't say it's a real lion. It said the head as of a lion. Well, there's something about that that should, should say, we need to take notice of this. I mean, if there is a lion that comes in this room, I hope I can outrun every one of you. Okay, so that's, you know, a lion. But when we think of what a lion can do, that ought to make us take note of it. There are certain uh, things about a lion that we'd see. Well, and there are certain things about these words that will be used that will say, well, it is an example of something that relates to it. There's, it's descriptive words. It's not a real lion. It's not a, a real this or a real that. But there are things about a real this or real that that you can see as it takes place. Now, in verse 2 of our text, it said, as the smoke of a great furnace. Some would say, well, then hell is a great furnace. But hell's not a literal furnace. It's greater than that. It's a fire. It's a place of torment that God made. He actually made hell for the devil and his angels, we find out in Matthew chapter 25. But men who reject Christ then accept the God of this world, which is the devil. If you don't receive Christ, that's your God, and you'll spend eternity with him. And, and so just understand who your company will be there. But this is the furnace, as a furnace, but not a literal furnace. But why would he use the term furnace? Well, imagine being in a furnace of fire. Okay, it is a visual picture. It gives you a picture of what is going on and what a person will endure. Now, understand that if you and I were in a furnace, they call it cremation. 
But when your body dies, or your spirit's going to leave, leave this body. And that spirit is going to either be with the Lord if it's saved, or it's going to go to a place called hell that's down there today. It's not the eternal lake of fire, but there is a hell. It's worse for some than others, but there still is a hell. None of it is desirable. None, none of it is what you want. But this hell, this hell, you'll have a spirit, you'll have a body, but this body can't burn up in a fire. It can only feel the pain that our bodies would feel in a fire. It can only have the torment that our bodies would have in a fire. So you need to understand that as we look at this passage. So, uh, he says there, it's not a literal furnace. And he speaks of locusts. They have power as the scorpions have power. Doesn't mean the locusts are actual scorpions. But they're different than any locusts that we've seen. Some may think literal scorpions, but again, I've heard some say, well, these are actually demons. No. If hell was prepared for the devil and his angels to, to torment them, those demons aren't the, the locusts. Okay, so just understand that. Now, it, it's not that at all. So again, we say, well, we look at this passage. What are some of the aspects here in this uh, thing that we need to see? Okay, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He that liveth and was I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, verse 18 actually is giving us the plan of salvation. I am he that was alive. That was Jesus Christ. This was Emmanuel, God come in the flesh. I am he that was alive and am dead. He was crucified on the cross. He was crucified for our sin and am alive. He resurrected from the dead. He has victory over hell and of death, and thereby he is able to save our soul. He has the keys. And so he is alive, and he said, forevermore. What does that mean? <laughs> as long as he lives, we live. And God will never die. Also, it shows us that Christ has the keys of hell and of death, as we said, because Christ, in his humanity, had victory over hell and death. He had victory over the devil. He had victory over all that's defeated us. He had that victory. Now, when we think of keys, keys open things. For example, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, the church at Philadelphia, verse 7, he says, he's opened a door, no man can close it. He can also close the door, no man can open it. Whatever he does, it's going to be that way. Well, if God opens in doors, or he shuts a door in ministry, there is no devil and there is no man that can change that. 
In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, as a matter of fact, this was the verse that when I was getting ready to start pastoring in the first church and knew that this would be a verse throughout all my ministry. There's a verse that God just gave me right there. And, and it was just my normal daily Bible reading. And it was this. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 16, 4, a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. But keep this in mind. The adversaries cannot close the door. The devil can't close the door if he's open. But personal attacks, whatever, they come. So what do you do? You determine God is faithful. He says he is. I believe it. I'm going to stake my life on it. Don't quit regardless of what is going on. God is right. He will see you through it. And if the door closes, there's only one thing that you can understand about that. God closed the door. Now, so you don't quit. Never quit. Just never, never quit. That ought to be in each of our hearts. So again, here he is. He has the keys of hell and of death. He has the ownership of the key. But then you see in verse 19 in Revelation chapter 1. He said, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now he's to write down, not only about what he's seen, but the things which are. Well, one of the things you can see which are is like the church in Philadelphia we just said. The church age, the church period that you and I are living in today. This age of grace. We, we, we see that there. Those doors have been opened for this local church age, but we also understand one day those doors may shut. You say, well, how, how will they shut? Judgment begins at the house of God. Now, if we're going to make churches look like Las Vegas, if people are going to dress like the world dresses and talk like the world talks and make fun of this uh, Bible preaching, hell and fire and brimstone preaching and whatever else they want to make fun of, just understand, you give in to that. It won't be the world judging you, although God may allow the world to come in and destroy, but it will be God allowing it. But it's not because the world hates us, it's because we turn our back on God. And if the churches do not have, local churches do not have revival, you expect it to happen in America. I know there are different groups out there. You've got Antifa, you've got the KKK, there's two opposite extremes, you've got... Uh, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, you got all this other stuff going on. Look, I don't care what it is, whether it's really extreme conservative, really extreme liberal, whether it's a very socialistic, communist, whatever it is, every person needs Christ. That's the bottom line. Get saved. If not, you expect problems in this country. And God has entrusted us. Look, we can talk about the liberal churches. 
We can talk about those that have turned their back on the holiness of God. Because he said, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We can turn our backs on all of those things. And we can say, well, it's these liberal churches. They're socialistic, really. Well, they may be. But that doesn't remove the responsibility that we have right here, right now, in this country. Some say, well, that's not me. Praise God, I'm faithful to my God. I'm faithful to my church, but you won't be in church tonight. You won't be in church on Wednesday night. If there's a ball game, if there's something else that you want to do. Don't call yourself faithful when other things can be put before God. Don't call yourself faithful. Okay. Now, we're talking about the Christian life. We're talking about uh, being a witness. We're talking about being a soul winner. But we're also talking about our country. We're here. We're saved. God's given us a personal responsibility. We better fulfill it. It's just as wrong for us to not to do what we're supposed to do as it is for the liberal church and what they do. Just understand that. Now, as we look at this, here's to see it, the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. He is to write not only what he has seen, but the things which are and the things which shall be. And Revelation chapter 3 we're, we're, was the are, but now we're looking in Revelation chapter 9, and it's the things which shall be. As a matter of fact, throughout Revelation, after about chapter uh, 3, you start seeing, seeing the things which shall be. And it is going to be the worst judgment that this world has seen ever. Even the flood, it destroyed many people, but eight were saved. Eight people came off the ark knowing God and quit doing their work. And their progeny went to hell. And every one of us need to think about that. Will my progeny, will my offsprings, will my great offsprings, my great great offsprings be in hell because I failed to teach. I failed to train them. I failed in serving God. Yeah, they all have personal responsibility, but we have a personal responsibility to tell. Yes, we have open and shut doors in this church age. But our text, the key is open in the tribulation to open this bottomless pit. It's given to that angel and he does what he's told to do. With this context, next see the coming terror. Even in the time of tribulation, we see the great grace and mercy of God. Because when this furnace is open, so to speak, this this key to death and hell is open. And it comes out as a great smoke that darkens the, the air and the sun. It's not the end of the tribulation and it's not the end of the age. God in His great grace and mercy is trying to warn people. 
He is trying to warn people. He still wants people to be saved. This is his great grace. Oh, yes. We saw the atomic bomb, its response, in, its, its devastation, should I say, in Japan back during World War II. We're told of our nuclear weaponry that will make that look just about like firecrackers in comparison. But even the nuclear weaponry that exists in this world today won't match what's coming out of that furnace. It'll be unlike something that man has ever seen. Oh, the terror, the terror, the horror of hell sweeping the earth. It'll be fearsome. People in the flood died. These men are hit by these that have, these locusts that have stings as a scorpion and want to try to kill themselves and they can't. It's like a paralyzing pain. Oftentimes it's missed that the deliverance from this world's destruction and pestilences, things such as COVID and, and other things. I wonder, are those things warnings for today? Is God telling us he's allowed it? that we might wake up? You say, well, that's not love. Oh, yes, it is. It is the love of God. Oh, the pain and the torment of hell. And the world is going to get to see a vestibule of that as the smoke darkens everything. Listen as I read these verses. If you want to see what God's about. Ezekiel 18, verse 32. For I, this is God speaking, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. The Lord God. Wherefore, in other words, right now, turn yourselves and live ye. Ezekiel 37, 11. As I live, saith the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die? When I see that, you know what it makes me think of? Here's the smoke billowing up. The sky is darkened. The sun is darkened. People are here. And the Lord, people say, why would he allow this? But he asked you, why won't you turn? Why won't you turn back to God? Why don't you turn to him? He's the judge, not us. Don't try to judge God and say, well, I just don't think he's fair. That is judging God. God's the judge. If we were to go to a hospital today, let's just say I'm coughing, I got a temperature, 
Maybe I've got the flu. I walk into where they're doing surgery. I stand around. Hey, man, what's going on? Hey, can I put my finger down there? I want to see what that feels like. Okay. And I infect the whole place. You say, so what do I, well, if I did something like that, what do they need to do to me? They need to throw me in the prison until the electric chair's back opened again. Okay. People, they go out there and tell them, hey, you're all right. A good God would never do that. And when a God who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, he that was alive and was dead and now is risen again from the dead, a God that would do that in your place, in our place, to pay our eternal penalty, paying the penalty for sin, dying for our sin, doing that for us. And to reject that is more guilty than if I went into a surgery room and corrupted it. It's much worse. You have a personal responsibility in two ways. First, if you're saved, you have responsibility to be holy, to be faithful to God, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to be a witness to a lost and dying world. If you're not saved, you've got a great responsibility that before you die, you receive Christ as your Savior. You know, there are some people who have this Attitude of as long as I'm saved, that's all I care about. This living for Jesus. <laughs> you know, you, no, I, I want to enjoy life. You know how much you're going to enjoy life? When you see the lost reward, you see the shameless in eternity. And by the way, you won't brag about what you did then. I found that people that at one time were drug addicts, people that were drunkards, people that did all these evil things, for some reason or another, they got saved, their lives got changed. They don't brag about what they used to do. Matter of fact, they're happy if nobody knows about it. Yes, now is the accepted time. We looked at this this morning just briefly, really. Next Sunday, I want us to look at the locusts that come upon this earth. Say more about that, but not just that. Verses 3 through 6, there's much more to see about it. We're going to look at it. But right now, more important than what I'm going to do next Sunday is having your heart right with God now. If you're saved, my first question is to you. Are you now spiritually walking in His holiness and righteousness? And you would have great confidence instead of being ashamed at His appearing. Or if you suddenly were taken out of this life. Are you prepared to meet God? But on the other hand, If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, 
anybody that is saved and a normal Christian would never be down on somebody that says, you know what? I've never been sure, but I want to make sure today. I've never heard people get down on that, but if they do, they need to get right with God. It's a billion times better to be 100% sure than to doubt. Do you know if you died today that heaven's your home? If not, as I say every Sunday, we'll have men with men, ladies with ladies, but we'll have people down here at the front that if you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, they can show you how to know that. They can show you how to be saved. But you must come to them. I'll be standing down here at the front. And in a few minutes, we'll just stand and we'll sing. And as they sing, that'll be your opportunity as everybody's standing to leave your seat and walk down here and meet me at the front. I wonder what people are going to think. I don't know. It kind of scares me. Are you more afraid of that than going to hell? We're just seeing one of the torments. This is not the eternal lake of fire. We're just seeing one of the torments. My friend, really, you cannot be 100% sure, you cannot give a Bible reason why you know that heaven's your home, then I want to invite you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today.